one of the pastors. Many of you are guests. Special welcome to you all. Many of you online with us are guests. Special welcome to you all. You know what this Sunday is about. It is about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the resurrection of our beloved Savior. And here's where we're going to go today. And I'm going to do something that you should never do in a sermon, but I'm doing it because I trust you all to deal with it. I'm going to tell you what the sermon is before we, so you'll clock out later. Well, I already heard what it's about. That's what I'm going to do. But I think it will help you today. Here's what we're looking at. I got four points and some subpoints. Here are the four points. First, we're going to look at Jesus foretold his death and third day resurrection. He actually did that a lot. He did that many times. We're just going to look at a few. Can't spend a whole lot of time there. And secondly, we're going to look at this. Paul, his hand-picked apostle, asserts that Jesus' third-day resurrection was according to the Scriptures, plural, meaning if you read the Old Testament, you can find Jesus' third-day resurrection in more than one passage, at least two passages. I'm going to find it in three passages today. Paul asserts that Jesus' third-day resurrection was according to the Scriptures of the Old Testament. Couldn't resist my little parens. If you've read Bruce Metzger, I'm sure you've all read Bruce Metzger, right, on the dating of Matthew's Gospel, and if you believe him that he's right, that's a few ifs, that Matthew's Gospel was the first and it was written very early, then you would understand that at the, at the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he would have certainly been exposed to, maybe even owned a copy of Matthew's gospel, and he is now considering it to be scripture. And so when he says according to the scriptures, he means the Old Testament and the gospel of Matthew. But he certainly means the scriptures of the Old Testament. We'll see that a bit as we go. Number three, we'll also note that many Old Testament texts, many, foretell Jesus' death and resurrection but not a third-day resurrection, like all the texts you're used to, all the classic Old Testament texts. We'll look at a few. They tell about his death, his burial, his resurrection, but not about a third-day resurrection. What's Paul referring to when he says Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures? What Scriptures? Finally, point number four, and this is where we really want to spend our time today. There are three key Old Testament texts and events, each text has its event, that teach Jesus' third-day resurrection. They are, here's a quick list, Isaac was raised from the dead on the third day. You say, what? you got to prove that to me. I will. Jonah was raised on the third day, and Israel was raised on the third day. And these are the passages that Paul surely had in mind when he said, you can find the third-day resurrection of our Savior in the Scriptures, plural, of the Old Testament. So you got all that down? You memorize that? We're all ready? Okay. Point number one. Wish I could spend the whole day on this one. Probably should have. Jesus himself foretold his own death and third-day resurrection, and he did it many, 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 many times. Jesus foretold what would happen to him. For example, let's read again Luke 13, 22. The Son of Man, he said, what Son of Man is him as to his humanity. He's a true human. He's also called Son of God. That's him as to his divinity. He is also God. He was the God-man, God in the flesh. Here, referring to his human part, the Son of Man must suffer 
many things. It was in his humanity that he suffered those many things. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, he was, and be killed. Let me clarify something for you. You sometimes hear people say, and they mean well, I'm sure, but they're wrong when they say it. They say, well, well God died for our sins. Now, I need to tell you that God never dies. God cannot die. God has life in him. Jesus is God-man, and the man part died. The God part did not die. The God part remained God and very much alive. But the Son of Man must be killed, and on the third day, and on the third day, be raised. So Jesus many times said this. Let's look at another one, and that'll be enough of this for today. John chapter 2. So Jesus has just cleansed the temple. You remember, made the whip, drove out the money changers, threw over the tables, coins are rolling along the floor. So the Jews, a little perturbed about this, the Jews said to him, uh, what sign do you show us? They were always doing that. Paul says in Romans, the the Jews seek for signs, the Greeks seek for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Here they are, they're looking for a sign. All right, you just did a Messiah-like thing, you're claiming to be somebody, so show us a sign. What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, here's your sign. Destroy this temple. Now they're standing in the temple in Jerusalem or near the temple in Jerusalem. And so they take him to mean destroy this physical, this edifice. Let me just read on. We'll clarify. Jesus answered them, here's your sign. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Notice the agent of the resurrection, by the way. It gives us more about his deity and his humanity. He says, in three days I will raise it up. Well, if you're dead, how are you going to raise it up? Well, I'll be dead as to my humanity, but I'll be alive as to my deity. And as sovereign God and creator who gives life, I will resurrect my own physical body and I will raise it up. He is the agent in this text of his own resurrection. But he's also going to give them a sign. The sign is, kill me and then watch me raise myself back up. That's a sign. And the Jews say, this then has taken... It has taken 46 years to build this temple. It wasn't even done yet. They're going to build it for a lot of years, down to almost A.D. 70, when God in his sovereignty allowed and used Titus to conquer and to raise, R-A-Z-E, the city and the temple, never to be raised up again. It's like God said, oh, I see you've built a beautiful temple. I don't need it. We have a new temple. It's made with living stones. But the Jews said, it's take, are you crazy? Are you nuts? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. In John's gospel, there are about 30 passages that are sometimes called the misunderstandings passages, where Jesus said things deliberately in ways that were hard to understand and would be misunderstood. He is concealing truth from some, and will later, as time plays out, reveal truth to others. They'll remember this when they see him raised. This is one of those misunderstanding passages. And the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build it. You're going to raise it in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. He was saying, you're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, 
his disciples remembered. Man, I bet they remembered. Oh, did they remember. They remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. They believed the Scripture that he would die and be raised, even from the grave. So many times, I wish I could spend a whole lot of time, but there's another place I want to go today, Old Testament. Many, 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 many times the Lord Jesus said, you're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise. You're going to kill me, I'm going to rise. If you're kind of new to Christianity, you've probably heard about that part before. It's not a little non-essential item way over there on the periphery somewhere. It's absolutely central to the Christian faith. The Christian faith is the only faith of the planet that is rooted in an historical event that you either verify as it's true or you do not verify it and it's false. And that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus claimed it. Let's go to our second point for today. Paul asserts that Jesus' third day resurrection is according to the scriptures of the Old Testament, and we might even include Matthew, but we'll just go scriptures of the Old Testament. Let's see where he says that. 1 Corinthians 15, classic resurrection passage. Verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. By the way, please notice that what we must do with the gospel is preach it, proclaim it, i.e. using words. You've heard people say, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. And you think, well, that sounds cool. No, it's awful. It is absolutely necessary. You're not preaching the gospel unless you use words. The gospel needs words that people need to understand and believe. So I know what people mean, like, well, be loving to them and show them what a wonderful person Christ has made you, and that's preaching the gospel. No, it's not. On their last day, they might die and remember you. I remember Steve. He was such a wonderful person. He was such a nice guy. He was so loving. I wish I could have been like him. And they die in their sins and go straight to judgment. No, they need to hear words. So we always communicate the gospel with words. That was just a little bonus right there. But I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. They had opened their hearts. And we're praying that you will all open your hearts and receive the gospel. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast yourself entirely upon him. Call upon his saving name. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, says the scriptures. And Paul says, that's what you all did. I preached it and you received it. And then notice how he describes them as real believers, not the professors who fall away. In which you stand. So they're standing in the gospel. They're standing with Christ. They're not walking it back. They're not trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified. They're not saying Jesus was just a dead rabbi. I, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm walking away from it all. They're not those John describes who went out from us and stayed away from the gospel because they were not of us. No, he's saying, you stand. That means you're real believers. Some of you have stood five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years plus, and you're standing. You want to be standing at the last day, amen? Let's stand. 
And he's telling them, you stand in this, and by which you are being saved. You were saved. There are three tenses. You were saved. You are being saved. You shall be saved. There are three tenses of salvation in the New Testament. Here he's using the present tense. You're in the process of following Christ and being saved, working out your salvation. Then a caveat, if you're being saved, if. Well, what's the if? And you expect it to say, if you've prayed the prayer, if you've signed the card, if you've gone forward, but that's not what he says. He says, you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Not all people who say, Lord, Lord, hold fast. Not all that glitters is gold. Not everybody who claims to be in the kingdom will be found in the kingdom at the last day. And at the last day, Jesus says in Matthew 7, many, not just one or two, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, workers of lawlessness. So there are those who don't hold fast. He describes them at the end of the verse, unless you believed in vain. It's, a, it's entirely possible you would believe, but you would believe in vain. The word vain implies it's empty. It does nothing. It's meaningless. Like you might have had what I call hospital faith. Oh, man, I was so sick, and they put me in the hospital, and I prayed to God, oh, God, please deliver me and send me home alive. And he did. I had faith in God. Well, that's hospital faith but that's not saving faith. Or some of you, maybe you had financial faith. Oh man, it was really bad. Like we were going under, we're gonna lose our house, we're gonna lose our car, we're gonna lose our shirt, we're gonna lose everything. But we prayed to God and God gave me a job. Bless you for that. God bailed me. But that's, that's financial faith. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation through the shed blood of, of Calvary's cross. And Paul says, any other faith but that, and if you do that but it's without your heart, you're believing in vain. Now we're going to get the part we really want to get to, the third day resurrection assertion of Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5a. For I delivered to you as of first importance. As of what importance? As of first, thank you, first importance. Meaning we're not out on the periphery here. We're not way out on some branch. No, we're in the center of what Christians have long called core doctrine territory. There are, there are essential doctrines. There are core doctrines to the Christian faith. And Paul's telling us, he's signaling to us that he has that list, and he wants us to know which list we're on right now, and we're on the core doctrine list. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Remember, he had just told them he preached it and they received it. Now he's saying, and I also had to hear it and I received it. He heard it from the Lord Jesus directly. Well, what is it, Paul? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. What Scriptures? The Scriptures of the Old Testament. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day, there's third day resurrection, in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared. So you see what Paul is saying? He's saying you can find in the pages of the Old Testament Jesus' third day resurrection. Well, where? And a number of the New Testament authors assert this, and Jesus asserted this, 
but they never tell us which passages they're referring to. So we're going to figure that out today, Lord willing. In which passages? Let me review. Point one, Jesus foretold his death and third day resurrection. Often. Point number two, Paul asserts that Jesus' third day resurrection was according to the scriptures of the Old Testament. Thirdly, many Old Testament texts foretell Jesus' death and resurrection, but not a third day resurrection. The Old Testament text you're used to, that you've heard again and again and again on Easter. Some of you are wishing, Pastor Steve, why are you doing this? Why didn't you just preach those resurrection texts? Well, because you've heard that over and over and over and over. And I thought I might tell you something that perhaps you haven't heard that is very important to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to notice many Old Testament texts foretell Jesus' death and resurrection, but not a third-day resurrection. What's the queen? What's the queen of those Old Testament passages? Death and resurrection. Isaiah 53, perhaps. Let's look at it. Isaiah 53, verse 8b. He was cut off out of the land of the living. That's death. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. That's substitutionary, vicarious, sacrificial, atoning death, the just for the unjust. And they made his grave. So let's be clear, that's dead. They don't put you in a grave unless they believe you're dead. And they made his grave. So this is picturing Jesus dead, cut off from the land of the living. They made his grave with the wicked, the thief on the cross, and with a rich man, in his death, Joseph of Arimathea. There's his, there's his death. What about his resurrection? Let's read on. Isaiah 53, 10b. When his soul does all that, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He made an offering to the Father in your behalf for your guilt. And if you'll call upon his holy name, that offering will be made good in your behalf. Your guilt will be covered. The blood of Christ will wash away all your transgressions and sin and guilt. And when that happens, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, get this, he's dead, right? He shall see his offspring. Wait a minute, how can that be? He's cut off from the land of the living. He's stricken for the transgressions. They made his grave with the wicked, with the rich man in his death. He's dead, he's buried. Yeah, but he's gonna come back and see. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul. He shall see his people, his church, believers, people who love him and follow him, he shall see and be satisfied. What is Jesus Christ doing at the right hand of the Father right now? He's seeing and being satisfied. There's another believer. There's another one turning to me. There's another child of God. There's a people following me, and he's being satisfied. That's what I died for. So we get the death of Jesus, we get the resurrection of Jesus, but there's no third day. Where, do we, where did Paul get, according to the scriptures, third day, plural scriptures, more than, more than one? 
Not in Isaiah 53. Well, maybe over in Psalm 1610, another key Old Testament resurrection passage. Let me share it with you. Psalm 1610. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. So this speaker, it's David, but what comes next really only applies to Christ. But he's saying, you're not going to leave me in the place of the dead forever. So this is Jesus, and he's going to be in the place of the dead. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, David's writing this, but David saw corruption. So this isn't all about David. Then who's not going to see corruption? Jesus Christ. Why will he not see corruption? He'll be raised by the third day before his body all decays. But there's no third day. So what we want to know is, what I hope you want to know is, does anybody want to, I hope you want to know, what are the Old Testament, where are the Old Testament texts that foretell Jesus' third day resurrection? I'm so glad you asked. Because there's some real goodies waiting for us here. Point four, let's see where we're going, then we'll go there. There are three key Old Testament texts, each of them has an event in them, that teach Jesus' third day resurrection. They are Isaac being raised on the third day, Jonah being raised on the third day, and Israel being raised on the third day. Anybody wanna see those? You're also nice. Isaac was raised on the third day. And this foretells the third day resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isaac, almost 2000 BC, typified, prefigured, foreshadowed the death, the burial, the resurrection on the third day of Jesus Christ. Now, the text we're going to turn to in a moment is Genesis 22, but before we go there and see Abraham and Isaac and what happened on that day and how there was a third-day resurrection, let's go instead to Hebrews chapter 11, which is a divinely inspired commentary on what we'll find in Genesis 22. Do you follow all that? So it's going to set the stage for us. So Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham when he was tested, oh my, was he tested, because God said, that son of yours, offer him up to me as a sacrifice. That's a test. When he was tested, offered up Isaac, past tense, like done. Well, wait a minute, he didn't actually kill him, and he didn't actually light the fire. So he didn't really offer him up. Oh yeah, because from the moment God said, sacrifice that son, Abraham, in his heart of faith in the living God, in his heart, that son is now as good as dead. The offering was done. Fate accompli. My boy's a goner. My boy's dead. My boy's Kaputsky. All right, he didn't say that one. He's over with. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Done deal. Even though not quite all done, but it was done in his soul. So it was done. And he who had received the promises, one of which was, your seed shall be like the sand on the seashore. Your seed shall be like the stars in the heavens. And Abraham being an old man, just managed by the grace of God to have one son, this son named Isaac. So it's through this son that those promises are to be fulfilled. It's through this son I'm going to have seed like sand on the seashore. So somehow this son's got to survive. 
Somehow the son's got to live. I'm an obedient man. I walk by faith. God told me, kill the boy. I'm going to kill the boy. Done in my heart. The deed is done. It's just a matter of working it out in time here. But Abraham was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. How? What was his mental reckoning? Here it is. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, this is a type of Jesus Christ, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Because he had let go of the boy. In his soul, the boy was dead. In his soul, the boy was gone. It was a done deed when he decided he would trust God and obey him. So he considered. So, so here he's, he's mentally, he's cogitating on this thing. And he says, all right, let me think. What do I know here? One, God gave me a son in my old age. That was a miracle. He only gave me one. Number two, he told me I'm going to have seed like the stars in the sand from, from this boy. All right. Number three, now he told me to kill him, offer him up as a burnt offering on a pile of wood. So what do I have to conclude? Ah, oh, he's going to be dead, but God's going to have to bring him back. To, all right, there's going to be a resurrection. In his soul, in his mind, in his heart, he had already decided my boy's going to be dead. He's as good as dead already in my soul. And God is going to raise him up. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. But on which day? Oh, Genesis 22. Next slide. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son. Is there any other only son in the Bible? Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. And God the Father offered God the Son as an offering. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you, and there was a mountain there and there was a mountain there called Golgotha. So Abraham rose early in the morning. That's an important little detail. We are dealing with a man of faith. He didn't hang around moody and depressed and worrying and fretting all the next day, just hoping maybe an angel will appear and say, okay, change of plans. No, he said, it's the will of God. I'm getting up early to do it. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he rose and he went to the place of which God had told him. But where do you get the third day? Keep reading. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And it was on the third day. From the day God told him, kill your son. And in his heart, he's dead. My son is now dead. He's buried. He's gone. It's done. I've offered him in my soul. Till the, till the third day, that's when God said, okay, wait a minute. And Abraham got him back from the dead. Genesis 22. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now let's go back to the Hebrews commentary on this quick. Hebrews eleven nineteen. here it is. He considered that God was able 
even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So almost 2000 BC, God creates an event. God has his prophets write that event and its meaning and its words in the Bible. And 2000 years before Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's third day resurrection from the dead is portrayed by Abraham and Isaac. Paul says, according to the scriptures, which one? Genesis 22, that's one. But where else? Well, we're gonna find that Isaac was also raised on the third day. So, I'm sorry, I skipped one. I wanna go to Jonah. Jonah was raised, yeah, next one. Jonah was raised on the third day. Now, Jonah is about 760 BC. And what happened with Jonah, you know the story of his first submarine ride ever and all that, right? What happened with Jonah serves as an amazing sign, a type, a prefigurement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jonah and the event that happens with him and the wording used is another place in the scriptures, plural, where we find the third day resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me show you how. Let's start in Matthew 12, where Jesus sets this up for us. Matthew 12, verse 38. Jesus had just healed a man with a withered hand, and it said in earlier verses that we're not reading, they conspired against him how to destroy him. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, same thing, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. That's all they're ever saying. He's healing people performing miracles, and they keep coming back, show us a sign. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it because they'd so harden their hearts. He's like, I'm not wasting my breath anymore. No more signs for you all. But a sign will be given to you. It will be the sign of the prophet Jonah. So, what role did Jonah serve? Well, he preached the gospel to Nineveh and they repent. What larger role did Jonah serve? What place does he occupy in the progress of God's revelation? He was a sign. Now, what does a sign do? A sign is not the reality. A sign points to the reality. Like if, if we could make this happen, this would be cool. If you were driving up I-95 and there's a big green sign that says, Cornerstone Church points you off on the ramp and then it takes an elbow and shows you right where to go to find Cornerstone. That'd be pretty cool. I don't think we can make that happen. But if it said that, would that sign be Cornerstone Church? No, it's not the real deal. This is the real deal. It's pointing to the real deal. Jonah, Jesus says there's a sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah wasn't the real event, I am. So there's something about Jonah and what happened with Jonah that teaches you about me. Well, what is it? I'm getting goosebumps, it's so good. Here it is, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was a prefigurement, was a type, was a sign pointing to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection 
But where do you get a third day resurrection? And where do you even get a resurrection? Because Jonah didn't die. Okay, I'll show you. Thanks for asking. I'll show you. Let's go to Jonah chapter 2 and see what's happening in Jonah's heart, in his soul, when he's inside the great fish. Jonah 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And man, you can believe that, huh? He prayed like he's never prayed. He prayed. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, now he's going to tell us about what he prayed. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Well, we want to see that answer. Out of the belly of Sheol. What's Sheol? It's the place of the dead. He's, he's going to tell us in a minute how he almost drowned. He was losing consciousness. He was at the bottom of the sea when this big fish scooped him up, and there was oxygen inside of there, and he was able to breathe again. And he got his consciousness fully back again. And he's saying it was out of the belly of Sheol, not just the belly of a fish. It was the belly of death. I was inside of death. I was a dead man. I was a goner. I was Kaputsky. I was writing my obituary as I was losing consciousness. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me. Wait a minute, I thought it was sailors on the ship, afraid of the storm. You're the bad guy. Let's throw him in the water. Yes, God used them, but they're only means in the hands of a sovereign God. God cast him into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Remember that word heart. It's coming back in the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Into the heart of the seas and the flood. Here he's telling us what it was like. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So he's going down, down, down in the water. Then he, he describes for us, he relives on the pages of scripture, the process of drowning. Jonah 2, uh, next, next slide, I think it's this one. The water's the waters closed in over me to take my life. He's like, that's it. I'm dead. The deep. Old Testament is written in Hebrew. They translated it into Greek. That's called the Septuagint or the LXX, the 70. And the Greek word they use there is abyss. The deep, the abyss surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. He's down there in the seaweeds all the way on the bottom, and he's feeling it around his head at the roots of the mountain. So if you picture this is sea level, here's a mountain that goes down to sea level. Well, it doesn't just stop right there. It keeps going down until you get to the very roots of the thing. He says, that's where I was. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land, the land at the bottom, whose bars closed upon me forever. It's like these ribs. It's like these bars, imaginary, came out of the, the land and just held him, and he realized that I'm never getting out of here. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm dead. It's over with. Jonah 2.6. Yet. Anybody been following us in Ephesians chapter 2? But God. Yeah. Here's Jonah's but God. Yet. Yet. You brought up 
my life from the pit. I was dead. You raised me. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, there he was, losing consciousness. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm losing life. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And God raised Jonah. But on what day? Well, let's read. Jonah 2.10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Hey, fish, he's a bad prophet. Spit him out. You don't want to swallow that kind. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. But where do you get three days? All right, you ready? Jonah 1.17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Holy cow, Batman. And Jonah was a type of, he's the sign. He's pointing to, what happened with him is about Jesus. We're not reading, we're not making that up. We're not reading that into the text. Jesus told us that's how this works. Let's go back to Matthew 12 and see that again. For just as Jonah, Matthew 12, 40, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart. There's that word heart. Jonah was in the heart of the sea. Jesus will be in the heart of the earth. That's Jonah language. Jonah was a sign. Jonah's death and virtual burial, he's buried in the bottom of the sea, and third day resurrection are what Paul is referring to when he says Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul's pointing to Isaac, because it's scriptures plural, we need more than one. And Paul's pointing to Jonah, because it's scriptures plural, and we need more than one. And now we're up to two, but there's a third one. It is this, Israel was raised on the third day. Now we're in the book of Hosea, and the time is about 700 B.C., and here's the occasion. We are getting near the fall of the northern kingdom. Israel split into two kingdoms. We're getting near the fall of the northern kingdom. The book of Hosea addresses that northern kingdom about their idolatry. God speaks to them in very stern, strong words. Hosea 5.14. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim. Now that's a bad day if God says, I'm coming to you like a lion not a little kitty purring, a lion. And like a young lion, lots of energy, to the house of Judah, I, even I, will tear lion's teeth, lion's claws, and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. Bad day for the northern kingdom. You all have fallen into idolatry, and you have incurred the righteous indignation and the judgment of a holy God. By the way, in your theology proper, in your doctrine of God, in your understanding of who God is, you've got to have room for passages like this. It's not all God is love. No, it's also sometimes God is a consuming fire and it is a fearful thing to fall into his hands, right? And here's the northern kingdom about to fall into his hands. He's warning them, don't do it because I'll come like a lion. 
Well, Hosea the prophet is shocked and terrified, and he pleads with the people. Here it is, Hosea 6, 1 and 2. Come, come on, people, let us return. That's repentance. Let us return to the Lord. Some of you, my hearers, some of you, my friends, beloved ones, you need to return. You need to turn to the Lord. You need to repent and turn that God would be God to you. You need to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus that he would be your God and your Savior. And that's what Hosea was telling them in their day's language. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day... He will raise us up that we may live before him. On which day? On the third day. You say, well, Pastor Hartland, you succeeded in finding an Old Testament passage that had a third day in it. But what does that have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's about Israel. Ah, but listen to what Hosea 11, 1 says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Israel is God's son, like Jesus Christ is God's son. And in Matthew chapter 2, when Herod's going to kill all the male sons under two years old because he wants to kill Jesus, Joseph is warned in a dream, Matthew 2, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Hosea, Out of Egypt, I called my son. So when Hosea said to Israel, look, on the third day, if you repent, if you turn, God will raise you up. He was really speaking of what God would do to the Lord Jesus on the third day. Are you following this? What Hosea says to Israel is God speaking to his son. What God will do for Israel is what God will do for his son. In the New Testament, what's in Hosea is applied to Jesus Christ. Hosea is about Jesus Christ. Israel, God's son, is crushed by the Father for her iniquity, but can be raised up back to life on the third day. Jesus was crushed by the Father for our iniquity, but was raised back up on the third day. So review. One, Jesus foretold his death and third day resurrection, many, many times. Two, but Paul asserts that Jesus' third day resurrection was according to the scriptures of the Old Testament, maybe Matthew too. Three, many Old Testament texts foretell Jesus' death and resurrection, but they don't tell a third day resurrection. We looked at Isaiah 53 and Psalm 16.10. But three key Old Testament texts and events do teach Jesus' third-day resurrection. They are Isaac raised on the third day, Jonah raised on the third day, Israel raised on the third day. Conclusions. Well, you should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been the plan throughout redemptive history. From day one, God allowed the fall, and then God planned to send a redeemer, and Jesus Christ is that redeemer, and many, many, many more things than we looked at today through the Old Testament pointed to him, prefigured him, foreshadowed him, told people to look for the Messiah, and the Messiah has come. He's Jesus Christ, and you need him. You need to come to the Lord Jesus. You need to call upon his worthy name. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Jesus said, all those who come to me, I will in no way cast out. You come to Jesus, he'll receive you. And by his death and his burial and his third day resurrection, by grace through faith, he'll make you a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away, all things become new. You've been hearing about Jesus from the Bible. Now it's time to talk to you. Will you believe? Will you turn that he may be God to you? Will you call? Will you pray, Lord Jesus, please save me, a sinner? Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing each one to this, this place in this time. We pray that in your grace and in your mercy, you would save sinners in this room today. Others who are watching with us online, would you call them into your kingdom and give them the forgiveness of their sins and everlasting life. And to you who are listening, the words don't really matter, it's your heart that matters, but you need some words and your words might be like, Father in heaven, I'm a sinner and I know I need Jesus Christ to be my savior. And I'm asking now, Lord Jesus, would you be my savior? The one who carries my sins in your own body on the cross of Calvary. The lamb of God punished in my stead. Lord Jesus, would you be my lamb? May I know the forgiveness and the new life that are found only in you. Please, Lord Jesus, would you be my God, my Lord, my savior? And Father, many, many in this room have called upon the name of the Lord. And would you give us grace from looking at the scriptures like we did today? Would you strengthen us so that we would stand, so that we would persevere, so that we would continue following Jesus Christ? Give us grace so that we would not turn back, so that your soul would have no pleasure in us. Help us to keep on believing, keep on following, keep on repenting till we, like Jonah, breathe our last and are called into your holy presence in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.